Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 1071, air date June 9th, 2022. Hello, everyone. Uh, good evening. This is Dr. Shiva Ayadure. This is a topic I've been wanting to do for a while, and the topic we're going to talk about today is going to be a little bit deep, um, as most of our stuff is. You know, we, we don't go surface level, but I'm going to try to uh, keep it as an introduction. And we're really going to discuss something some of you may have heard of called Modern Monetary Theory, MMT. And as the title says, I really consider this the next big lie of both the left and the right. And it's a it's been a long history of the left and the right to really collude against working people by never really solving the real problem, but essentially proposing, um, you know, fake solutions, band-aids. And it's been part of this long history of imperialism, which can never really get out of its own way, but it does have the theater of the left and right to keep manipulating people as though they have a solution. But I think, um, as the title says, for those of you joining, we're gonna be discussing modern monetary theory. And some of you may have heard of MMT, some of you may not, but mark my words, this is going to be creeping in globally throughout the world as a way how you, quote unquote, you know, rescue the working people of the world, when in fact, it's a big trap and it has nothing to do with actually um, saving people or helping people in, in a, a real way, but it really has to do with uh, further enslavement. So I want everyone to listen carefully so we can go through this and we may even open up the lines for questions but we have a lot of people signing in we have uh good to have you from cape cod we have people from california nice to have you ecuador great to see you ohio trinidad um what else do we have here uh great we have a lot of different people coming from all over the world the gold coast great to have you california great um our movement that we are building is an educational movement uh, for truth, freedom, and health, but fundamentally it's an educational movement to educate people beyond left and right to understand the science of systems. There is a way that you can learn to think in a way, not how to think, but, but learn uh, not what to think, but how to think, really to understand how to look at these complex systems and connect the dots, and that's called the science of systems. And my intention has been the, uh, the biggest thing I recognized what, was that unless we learn the science of systems, it's frankly going to be very, very hard to um, get through a lot of this because those in power are very, very sophisticated in understanding um, how uh, to manipulate people. Thank we have Tony here. Thanks, Tony. Texas, Chicago, Kansas, Virginia, Oregon, Peru. Great to have you. New Jersey, uh, Boston, Oregon. Again, Texas, Illinois, um, good to have you. Canada, Fiji, um, and again, Texas, Florida, fantastic. Great to have all of you. So um, so we're going to be discussing Netherlands. Um, so we're going to be discussing, my goal is by the end of this discussion, everyone understands what is modern monetary theory. Um, and most importantly, understands that it's essentially 
uh, it's neo-Keynesian, and you'll also understand what I mean. It's really nothing new. Um, those of you who are interested to learn more of the other stuff we do, uh, the, uh, the other uh, videos we've done on many different areas of systems, go to vashiva.com and go to vashiva.com slash join and join our movement and become a uh, warrior scholar. Many people say, how can you actually support the work that we do? We do a lot of very detailed systems uh, information. The best way you can support is to be become a student, uh, become a warrior scholar. Uh, you, uh, we give people a big uh, scholarship uh, to the, towards their tuition, but it's a way that you can learn and then you can also support everything we're doing. So that's what I recommend. So let me go to what we're gonna cover today. We're gonna uh, do a very brief history of economic you know, theories that have been put forward since probably the 1700s, very brief. Um, we could do a video on each one of them. We're gonna really have a discussion of what is money, okay? Um, we're gonna talk a little bit about Bitcoin, okay? Um, people think Bitcoin is going to save the world, and you'll um, understand out of this discussion why Bitcoin is another ruse. It's really another Band-Aid, um, and it's really not going to address fundamental issues. Uh, we're also going to talk about how global imperialism will always create crises and how it creates what I call this vicious cycle. Uh, someone just uh, signed in from Argentina. Nice to have you, Maria Garcia. I've been to Argentina. Great people. Uh, people in Argentina understand some of this uh, based on how uh, the economy has been treated there. We'll also talk about how working people will always be the victims of those crises. And we're going to talk about how the left and right really have no solutions. They only have Band-Aids. Um, and their Band-Aids typically involves theater to distract working people from ever focusing on the real solution. That's typically what fundamentally happens. Um, the, the effort has always been set off my phone here, uh, is to never... It's to distract working people into the left or the right. We talked about the four buckets. Uh, the fundamental goal is to people into the left bucket, the right bucket, or to make people so isolationist and depressed that they just fall off, don't want to even participate in any politics or life or uh, community, or to make people, a subset of people, domestic terrorists where they take desperate actions, which actually makes it worse for everyone else because the elites use that as a way uh, to suppress, let's say, free speech, or they use it to... Um, suppress our right to have our own security, protect, let's say, the right to bear arms. So then we're going to, in that context, we're going to talk about modern monetary theory, MMT, and you're going to learn how this is really the latest hack. Um, I think there's a woman called Stephanie Kelton, a guy called Bill Mitchell, a bunch of these hacks out there um, who are part of the liberal elite bourgeois who are promoting this as the next great thing. And it's actually complete nonsense. And you'll see a lot of similarities between what took place during the New Deal, uh, which was really the Keynesian era, where people try to solve the economic system through top-down government intervention. And basically, you'll realize that MMT is a neo version of the Keynesian system, which is an, uh, the latest uh, revamping of that to justify why we need why the printing of money. Uh, while they claim they can control, you know, hopefully they can control inflation is going to solve everything. Okay. And then finally, we're going to talk about the path forward. Many of you know that uh, it's easy to critique things, but uh, rarely do people offer a solution. One of the things we do in our movement for truth, freedom, and health and understanding the science of systems is simply not to just critique, but to critique, to understand what the real problem is 
and then to offer the real solution. So obviously in today's talk, I'm not going to have a chance to go to all the details. I'm going to go into giving the overarching key elements and most importantly, the key systems elements. And we may do videos on each one of these based on um, feedback I get. Okay. So uh, before I do that, for those of you joining, um, many of you know that I'm committed to building a movement that uh, is really focused on thinking beyond left and right. Hold on one second. Uh, I think I may have to just step out and let someone in. One second. <laughs> Um, sorry about that. We have Ken Fielding just had to get in. But anyway, um, but the key thing here is that we need to think beyond left and right. Okay. And this is really where the survival, in my uh, view, of where humanity rests in solving problems to think beyond left and right. It's critical. And thank you to online call. Um, thank you for your uh, contribution. We appreciate it. Um, so we need to think beyond left and right. And the way we think beyond left and right is we need to learn the science of systems. And I can't overemphasize this. I will keep doing videos uh, each uh, day like I do. We're going to talk about MMT to essentially hopefully inspire all of you to learn the science of systems. But you can go to vashiva.com and, and do that yourself and be part of a community. Because if we don't do that, really the choice is either we get educated as working people or we will be enslaved because we'll be essentially bucketed into this left-right narrative. Um, I'm gonna just take a quick uh, two-minute break and I'm gonna play a video for you guys that will hopefully inspire you. It's a video that we did following my US Senate campaign, but it really lays out what's at hand and why we need to build this movement for truth, freedom, and health. And I'll be back in literally a few minutes. We have allowed our country to be taken over from within and the end goal is you will have a homogenized world where we will become slaves because there is a condition among the elites that really thinks they're better than you deep down inside them that you don't deserve the freedoms you have they don't this reality is what people need to wake up to and we need to all unite working people there's only one movement that can do that and that is the movement that we started creating here in Massachusetts, the movement for truth, freedom, and health. Look, I've been a student of politics since I was a four-year-old kid, studying revolutionary movements, left-wing, right-wing. There's a physics, there's a nuclear science to destroying the establishment. To build a bridge, you need to understand Newton's equation. You need to understand the laws of gravity. You need to understand Poisson's ratio. There is a way to build a revolution, and that's why I put this together. My goal is to train a army of truth, freedom, and health leaders we don't need followers like social media, we need leaders, but they, they need training because the educational system does not teach them history, nothing. So in three hours, that's what I've started doing. That's the solution. Wow. We gotta train people. First with understanding what a system is. The second is understanding the interconnection between truth, freedom, and health. Freedom is the ability to move freely, communicate freely, right? Talk freely. Without freedom, you cannot convert ideas, hypothesis into truth which is science. And without freedom, you can't really get to truth. And without truth, you make up fake problems and fake solutions, which means you destroy our health. And without health, which is the infrastructure of us and our body, you can't fight for freedom. Third concept is it has to be bottoms up. 
working people, people who work uniting. And what the right wing has done is whenever you say working people unite, that must be communist. Meanwhile, they've let the Democrats run unions, which suppress workers, completely corrupt. But when you look at the arc of American history, it's been when working people came up. We need to go local. Every solution I'm coming up with as a part of this movement, we're giving the science, which is the truth, and then we tell people what they can do on the ground. Like with election fraud, you don't need to wait for some lawyer. Our goal is to train people, Dave, to go local, to go local, to go local, fight locally. Forget lawyers, forget politicians, forget celebrities. You've got to learn politics, and there is a science to it. They lock us down, we should be ready to shut them down. And the fourth part of this principle is a not-so-obvious establishment. So when you look at a system, there's always something that disturbs you from getting to your goal. Well, the biggest disturbance is a not-so-obvious establishment, which are those people who claim they're for you, on the left and the right, the Al Sharptons who tell black people I'm for you, the Tucker Carlsons. Do you think any true anti-establishment person will ever be on Fox or CNN? I don't think so. They both mislead working people back into the establishment without this solid understanding of political physics and theory, you're screwed. You're going to follow on the, the left wing, Bernie Sanders, oh, he said something, or Robert Kennedy, scumbags. Or you're going to follow, you know, some right wing talk show host. They're not going to lead us to liberation. It's us. And that political physics, it's a nuclear science of change. Bottoms up. We have to organize to understand that there is people who talk a good game and then look at what they actually do, left and right. I'm sorry, Sean Hannity may say some good things, but I don't see the urgency in his voice to get something done, and it can only come when you weaponize yourself with the right knowledge. You need to be able to identify a rat. You know, Christ didn't go after the Romans, right? It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees who screwed him up. His own, quote-unquote, people. And that's where we're at. So these four concepts I've built into a curriculum. People can go to vashiva.com, and it's an educational program. We need to train people in political theory. You need to have physics. And I've created that curriculum. People need to get educated. We need to get educated fast. And within a half an hour, an hour, I can teach people. Two years of MIT control systems, I teach people those concepts. Then I apply it, anyone can understand it. And then you say, oh, I gotta build a bottoms up movement. They have to get politically astute, and then they have to go locally and act, not sit there on social media. They have to act locally, defy locally, be, do civil obedience locally, but with knowledge on how to build a movement. And the Senate campaign's expanded to the movement for truth, freedom, and health, and they can find it on V as in Victor A. Shiva, vashiva.com, so people can sign in, they can get access to a bunch of videos. If they wanna take a course and become a truth, freedom, and health leader, I offer a full scholarship there. But we want people to make a commitment that they'll study, that they'll get certified, that they'll go do activities on the ground. So go to VA Shiva, Victory America Shiva, VAShiva.com. All right, everyone. It's good to have you back. Uh, so anyway, I want everyone to go take the course. It's a, it's the best way you can um, support uh, or give back to what we're doing here is for you to get educated. So every Mondays we do the course uh, online with an educator. Uh, this evening, today, I do a live open house. Everyone is invited. And uh, let me just give you the instructions for that. There's a little ticker running, vhtv.com. Just go sign up there so you can come to the open house. 
If you want to know more, you can just go right here. Let me show you that. So the open house right there, we do it every Thursday, 11 a.m. and 8 p.m. Uh, so keep, please come to it. You can just go to vhu.com slash orientation if you want to know more. Those of you who are um, want to know more about the, the, the material, you can also just get the book, uh, System and Revolution. It'll teach you the fundamentals. It's free. Uh, we've sold probably about 30,000 copies of this. You can buy it on Amazon for 20. Or you can get it for free. Uh, just cover the shipping and handling. Um, but most importantly, I want everyone to take the course, become a warrior scholar. We're building a global movement for truth, freedom, and health. And we're not here to convince anyone to be part of this movement. We're essentially providing the infrastructure for those people who already get it uh, intuitively, but they need the theoretical framework to understand um, how you can actually resolve problems and have a community and technology. And before I end, I'll play a video that'll really give you the elements of this. But anyway, there's a practical piece to what we're doing. It, we do the videos to give you the application of system science, but then we want you guys to really be part of this movement. I'm very thankful for all the wonderful comments, but taking those comments that you have, the, the good feelings, and converting it to a movement is what we need to be done. And, and this, this video will actually share that, okay? Why we need to do that. Okay, so let's, uh, as I mentioned, we're gonna, this is, for those of you just joining, we're gonna be covering um, really what's going on beyond left and right with the biggest lie that's taking place, which is what the elites are preparing um, in, in the modern, uh, you know, in probably in the 2020, uh, this era, this decade, is modern monetary theory. And they're laying the groundwork for it. People like Bernie Sanders, people like AOC, and both the left and the right are involved in it. And um, uh, we're going to cover a little bit of history. We're going to go through what is money, uh, why imperialism uh, creates this vicious cycle. We'll talk about why working people will always be at the brunt end of that vicious cycle. And uh, why the left and right really have no solutions. What is MMT? And, there, and you're going to see literally that history is about to repeat itself unless we get smart, which is we're going to go from the New Deal to the Green New Deal. And, but we're going to provide a solution. All right. So let's just go into that. So first of all, let me just talk a little bit about a brief history. Some of you may know this, but throughout, you know, the last how many ever years, last 300 years, there's been different theories of ec economics, right? Uh, people call economists. By the way, uh, someone did an analysis of econ economists, economists, and at best they're able to predict 3% of what's ever going to occur, which means they have really no predictive powers at all. You're better off just taking a dart and throwing it at a dartboard and figuring it out. But many of these people get Nobel Prizes and stuff like this. But, you know, back in the 1700s, there were economists like Malthus. Some of you may have heard of Malthus, and uh, Malthus thought that, you know, uh, that the population is going to increase geometrically and we're not going to have enough food to meet it. So we're all, we're, we're all, we're going to die. And in fact, when I, uh, in 1970, we were taught Malthusian theory uh, when I was in grade school. So it's a very, this grim theory that we're not going to have the productive capabilities to produce enough food and we're all going to die. Anyway, so people say Malthus was wrong. Okay. Um, because Malthus did not see the industrial revolution coming where we could actually uh, multiply the production of food using the forces of um, capitalism. And then you, at the same time you had in 1776, Adam Smith, some of you may know, published The Wealth of Nations, uh, which really defined, you know, capitalism, him and another guy called uh, Daniel Ricardo. 
And they really, their, their philosophy, which I'll get into the details of it, was Adam Smith's view was that he didn't have a grim view as Malthus did. But, and by the way, him and Karl Marx were actually very similar in their uh, view, economic view. People think they were vastly different, but they're very similar. But um, Adam Smith's view was that it was self-interest that really drove um, economies. And he was a big proponent of free trade among different uh, countries. But fundamentally, um, uh, fundamentally, Adam Smith was a big proponent of this thing called self-interest. And, and Daniel Ricardo put forward this thing called comparative advantage, where he said, OK, if you have two countries, let's say one country has the ability to produce rice and the other country with large quantities and the other country has the ability to produce cotton, that they have a comparative advantage. And free trade was important because then you could have this global economy. Anyway, these guys had very interesting ideas. But um, and then you had Karl Marx uh, in 1848. You know, he put out his theories and he this, Marx put out his ideas. Some of Marx's observations were right on the money and others of his were off. Um, so it's not about a left right view, pro Marx, anti Marx. In fact, Marx said something very interesting. Uh, by the way, 95 percent of Marx's work was on probably 98 were on observations about capitalism and only about 2% was about communism. But um, he essentially uh, put forward the idea of surplus value. In fact, many of Marx's stuff is taught in business schools, which people don't give him credit for, but he should get credit for that. Then you had Alfred Marshall, you know, around the same period who really uh, put forward what is known as classical economics. If you look at modern economic theory, it was where Alfred Marshall sort of congealed all of this stuff and he put it together. All right. Now, in 1929, uh, October um, 29, 1929 is when the big stock market crash took place. All right. And um, someone said, I really wish you were sitting in a senator right now. Well, um, some of you look, let me just take a quick aside. As many of you know, I had announced I was going to run for governor and I took a step back because you really realize that the systems are quite, they do not want outsiders. They do not want intelligent people like ourselves involved. They want the left and the right. And as you know, I don't take a left or right position. The Republican party in Massachusetts is a bunch of complete scumbags. They work with the Democrats. Uh, but people have asked me, am I gonna run for governor? And I've told people that I'm not running. And people have said, oh, uh, can I write you in? Sure you can, that's up to you. If you guys wanna go do that, go for it. But, uh, and obviously, uh, I would serve if I was called upon to, but I'm not running. Um, I may run for senator, uh, depending on how we build our movement, okay? Just to keep keep you officially. But that, but that doesn't mean you guys can't go do your own thing. But anyway, um, the important thing to understand is that in 1929, when the stock market crashed, remember, the entire market co collapsed. And we're going to understand... Well, there, there will be more and more collapses because the foundations of imperialism, global imperialism, um, is to always have crises. Because the nature of the way that the economy works with modern imperialism, it is destined to have crises. Okay, And you're going to understand it, it has crises not because of underproduction, but overproduction. It's very contradictory. But global imperialism actually produces too much stuff that can't be consumed because they also unemploy people who don't have the wages to buy the stuff that they produce, okay? So it's a very interesting contradiction. Now, Keynes, you know, um, he's the one who really 
was trying to save, quote unquote, imperialism. Right. So when the economic crash took place, um, Keynes said, you know what, we need to have. Uh, yes, I believe still in advanced globalism and imperialism, but governments need to step in. OK, so went away from this concept of a free economy, free market economy, free trade, which was Adam Smith talked about. And Keynes, and you need to understand this as we talk about MMT, Keynes was really about government stepping in. Okay, he said the government must, must step in. And it was really the beginnings of not this, you know, this vibrant sort of entrepreneurial capitalism, but recognizing at a certain point, monopoly capitalism, imperialism, which where it's destined to go to, uh, would be a failure. And instead of admitting it was a failure, uh, what I call the not-so-obvious establishment. And by the way, Keynes hated working people. Uh, he said, I'm a bourgeois. And it's interesting that today you have modern monetary theory and people like AOC and Bernie uh, dumbass Sanders, um, who's really not a bright guy, but and he's really not for working people. And these people embrace people, uh, MMT and Keynesian economics, neo-Keynesian, which actually hates working people. Okay, yet they claim they're for working people. So they're the not so obvious establishment. But Keynes was really about trying to save global imperialism by saying, okay, we need the government to intervene. Okay, and if you actually look at that, the government intervention that took place uh, occurred in a context. And we'll come back to this. But broadly, what you will not see on mainstream media, you won't learn other places, but you will learn it here is that starting the late 1800s and 1900s, there was an amazing bottoms-up movement taking place globally, not only in the United States, all over the world, because global imperialism was failing, okay? It was completely tanking. And these bottoms-up movements were labor movements of led by women all over the world, working people. And by the early 1900s, these movements had explosively grown where they literally, uh, quote-unquote, put a gun to the head of the elites, and there was going to be a revolution in the United States. And in response to that, um, you had people like Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who's really started following Keynes, and they did the New Deal. Okay? The New Deal was where they were forced to give the working people some concessions so they, they, the elites wouldn't have a revolution on their hands. The working people at the time didn't have enough of the right theory the right system science theory, had they learned that they would have pushed forward this bottoms up organic movement. Instead, they got bamboozled by the not so obvious establishment of people like Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And in fact, the New Deal was a horrible deal. It actually caused greater unemployment. And the only way, and you won't learn this in history class, the only way the elites got out of that was to start World War II. Okay, because you had all these unemployed people. And what better way to this is so this is what's so fucked up about global imperialism excuse my language is the only way to solve unemployment is to start a war and then you get full employment okay so if you see these graphs they'll say oh franklin delano roosevelt uh caused such great you know reduction in unemployment well you started a freaking war okay and you started a war that churchill the, uh, I did a video on this that Britain pulled the United States into a war and the U.S. did not want to go to war. But anyway, that's how the elites start, you know, save economies. They actually have working people shed their blood and uh, resolve unemployment problems that way. OK, but if it wasn't for World War II, 
you would have had a complete collapse. So the elites start, they do the New Deal, which was centralized band-aid solution, and then they started World War II, all right? But anyway, we'll come back to all of that. But so you had Keynes in the 1936, and then someone also mentioned you had the Austrian School of Economics, which went the other way, which said, hey, we shouldn't have any government. Again, it's called the Austrian School of Economics, which said we shouldn't have any government intervention. Let's just put pure laissez-faire. And this is by, uh, by people like Hyatt and Ludwig um, and people like uh, Milton Friedman. And it was called the Chicago School of Economics, okay? So that was another school of economics. And, um, you know, that said, let's have no government participation. Um, uh, so then it went, led to another thing called monetarism, then supply-side economics. But what you have today is really this, the left and the right do this dialectics, okay? And what is the left and right dialectics when it comes to economies? They do one or the other. And what is that dialectic, okay? Well, that dialectic is they have these cycles, which we'll talk about. Global imperialism doesn't know really how to run a stable economy. It has these cycles. And at every cycle, working people get screwed even more. And then you have the elites actually amass more wealth during every cycle. You saw it in the last pandemic cycle, right? Where 600 billionaires accumulated, grew, by, grew their wealth by 2.3 trillion. But... At every cycle, global imperialism ultimately squeezes working people, unemploys people, reduces wages, and then says, hey, you know, we need to cut spending. We need to cut all these programs. Governments do this. And that's called austerity measures, okay? You may want to write this down. A-U-S-T-E-R-I-T-Y, right? Um, sorry, A-U-S-T-E-R-I-T-Y, okay? Austerity measures. So that's one model of it, the uh, economics where you cut spending, okay? So one wing of the establishment does that, typically called the conservatives or the Republicans or the Tories or the right wing, whatever you want to call them. And then the left wing, in response to that, says, no, 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 we can't cut these programs because now we have all these people out of work, right? We have people unemployed. We're going to inject um, money into the economy, and they call that deficit spending, okay? So you have these two sort of pistons, two, it's a sort of two, uh, uh, you know, headed serpent that they have, right? Deficit spending or austerity, okay? And that is pretty much what the two tricks that they have. And then, and what they do is they vary these two, they put a different um, costume on these two heads, and then, and then they write the latest books. Stephanie Kelton has a book out. You know, they're promoting her as this great savior. She's the consultant to AOC and Bernie Sanders for the Green New Deal. Okay. But you have to understand that both parties have been participating in what we call deficit spending. Just to give you a data point, Obama, in one term, printed $4.3 trillion. Trump printed $6.9 trillion in one term. Let me repeat that again. Obama printed $4.3 trillion, this is in the United States, and Trump, that's in one term, Trump printed $6.9 trillion, okay? Which left wing, right wing, they did the same thing, okay? And again, it's about, they know that the economic system that the elites have built is completely built on quicksand, 
And at every cycle, working people get screwed. So what they do is they print money. And now they have a theory for that, which we're going to get to. Okay. All right. Before we do that, let's talk about what is money. We, we're going to talk about modern monetary theory. But anyway, that was a history of all these different theories of economics. But fundamentally, the two levers they have is cut spending, right? Deficit spend. All right. And that's what they do. All right. And we're living in an era now where we went from sort of this, remember, nothing is static, that you have a historical development. There was at one time where we had this very entrepreneurial capitalism, people worked, uh, the, there was a connection between uh, the exchange of commodities and the actual value of that, which we call money. And over time, there's been a disconnection from that. And once you understand that, you'll understand the conundrum that the elites are in. So what is money? Okay, that's the second part we wanted to cover. Again, those of you joining, this is the agenda we're going through. We just covered the history. We're going to go, what is money? Well, what is money? Okay. Um, some people say, oh, money is a medium of exchange. Okay, that's a definition. Some people say money is Bitcoin. Some people say money is something that's printed. Okay. MMTers believe that money is something that's printed and you can print it and you can take it out through taxes. Okay. But if you really look at these definitions, they don't really address the historical nature of money is, okay? Um, because money is actually something that evolves over time. You can't say money is this. And that's where people make a mistake. Money is a definition that has changed over time. But fundamentally, what money has been linked to is the commodity exchange, exchange of commodities. So at one point, think about when we didn't have that many goods, let's say um, uh, person A had, you know, you were in a village and one person had 10 goods. They had a chicken, you know, some rice, uh, some bags, you know, some hay and maybe some salt. And someone else had 10 other goods. They just bartered, okay? Now, as economies grew, right? Um, as you as remember, commodity in in the in this de economic definition could be two things, right? It could be the actual sort of um, you know the dead commodity, right? Which is like physical goods, like this pen. But it could be live commodities, like a human being. Um, in fact, at one point, slaves were used as a medium of exchange, as money, essentially. But these in order as economies grew where you just didn't have 10 products, you had thousands of products, then money came to being to as a universal uh, uh, medium, right? Uh, as, a, as a universal uh, exchange medium to represent the actual value, okay? And one of the big ways, one of the biggest things that, uh, one of the uh, aspects of money was it allowed for this exchange it was also a store of value, right? And um, and a number of other things. But one of the things was precious metals um, were really used, um, ultimately came to be used as a vehicle to represent that value, that value exchange. Um, why were precious metals use, useful? By the way, they use slaves, as I mentioned. They use beads, right? But metals were very um, valuable, like gold, because... What did gold really represent? Well, gold ultimately represented 
a concentrated amount of labor and machinery because you have to mine it, right? Which means you have to use human labor and machinery. So in an ounce of gold was within that ounce of gold was the actual hum human labor time it took to get it plus a, you know, the, the non-human labor time machinery, right? And what was fascinating about gold is it was small, it was durable, right? It was divisible, um, it's inert. You could also clump it together. So, so these precious metals had a lot of good value and it allowed for this commodity exchange, all right? Now, as capitalism went beyond its entrepreneurialism stage, where it's very vibrant to become monopoly capitalism, what you ended up happening was that, interesting enough, as it went to what we call global capitalism, global imperialism, the commodity exchange, which means the goods that you were exchanging and they're being tied to an actual value, in this case, gold, which is also connected to labor, started getting divorced because as the number of transactions increased, as the number of commodities increased, and as there became a disconnection, and we'll talk about this, that economies were no longer, or the production of goods was no longer really tied into what the needs of people were. People just started producing goods for maximization of profit. And when that started occurring, you had a disconnection between the actual value exchange and what was the actual value, let's say, of gold. And so people started creating tokens as a derivative to represent gold. So you started having people creating paper bills, right, currency. And that's where money became divorced from the actual commodity exchange, all right? So we, and when that occurred is that that's when you started having this big disconnection, okay? And when that disconnection took place, it became very easy to manipulate things, okay? So when these economies, which were no longer tied to people's actual labor and actually other, gold ultimately was a precious metal, which also took labor, then you, then money was no longer really measured the actual value, right? It became disconnected from that. So it became disconnected from what was actually going on. So by way of example, when you really think about um, the real issue here, and we go back um, and, and look, really consider, let me just go back to my notes here. Um, when you really consider what was going on um, with um, this concept of money, money ultimately, when it is the in this historical development, when it represents the commodity of ex, you know commodity exchange, right? Um, it's a little more honest, right? And the real issues of money then are who produces that commodity? Well, working people produce that commodity, okay? Then the issue is who owns the means of production of the of the of the production of those commodities? All right. These are much more realistic questions when you want to talk about money. It's the actual who owns those means of production. However, Bitcoin, for example, has nothing to do with answering those questions. The Bitcoin people are also chasing up the wrong tree because they think that money is really about the creation of money, like who should own the creation of money or the production of money. So they think money really is about the production of money. And so therefore, they think we should decentralize its production, which is what Bitcoins are. But those Bitcoins are not fundamentally tied to the commodity exchange. 
Okay, so it's never really going to address. It's almost like living in its own reality over here or its illusion, which is not connected to the actual uh, uh, commodity exchange. All right. And we can ask more questions uh, on that during the question time. All right. So that's one of the things that we want to understand. Now, if we look at in that context, we want to look at how imperialism will always create these crises okay imperialism will always create these crises and why do i say that so what is this crisis all right so if you think about what occurred in um in uh when was this this was in um bretton woods right in um right after world war ii up until world war ii uh one of the things that came after world war ii is uh we had the entire world literally move to the dollar standard the United States at that time had two-thirds of the gold in the world. And it was decided post-World War II by the quote-unquote the victors that we would go to the dollar, right? So assuming that uh, based on the premise that the United States in Fort Knox had about two-thirds of the world's gold. So that's what the Bretton Woods Accord was about. It was moving to that um, gold standard. But by 1970, when the economic collapse took place, in the United States, we moved away from even the gold standard. And whenever these crises take place, what the elites do is they move further and further away from the economy actually be tied to something real, which means, let's say, labor or directly connected to, let's say, some precious metal like gold, uh, where it's actually representative of labor power. Okay. So people move away from a real economy to a fake economy, which is based on promissory notes, which is what currency is. So 1970 was a very important point in U.S. and world history because there was a major economic collapse, and that is when we moved to the petrodollar. Now, why is all of this important is because when you start connecting these dots, what you start realizing is that the elites have this very interesting vicious cycle that they don't know how to get out of. What is that vicious cycle? Well, the vicious cycle goes like this. All right, you have a bunch of companies in a particular area competing against each other, okay? Well, how do you compete? How do you compete? Any questions? I mean, any answers? You compete. Um, someone is saying there's Bitcoin spammers are on every page. They drive me crazy. Hey, John, can you get on there and throw them off? Medlar? Yeah. Thanks. So... What is this vicious cycle that we're talking about? The vicious cycle is there is a point during the early stages of capitalism where the economy matched or the exchange of commodities matched with reality. But one of the features of this system is that it's all about massive competition. Well, how do you compete? Because one of the features is to maximize profit at all, whatever it takes. So if you have five people or 10 people in a particular field competing, what you're trying to do is you're going to try to lower cost. Okay. Well, how do you lower cost? Well, either you pay people less wages or you come up with new technologies, capital, um, goods, which manufacturing capabilities where you can get more out of labor, right? So if you go to a lot of these car facilities, right, you have very few people running these robots, for example, right? So in that model, you are 
you literally are creating unemployment, but you're creating a very efficient way of producing goods. And this is what's interesting. And this is the contradiction. You start producing, you start produce overproducing. So competition drives such a level of productivity. In fact, if you look from 1970, and I want everyone to understand the statistics to today, we've had a 77% growth in productivity. So between 1970 to today, we've had a 77 growth in productivity, which means the elites have learned how to run these systems through robotics, manufacturing, better and better and better. But wages have only gone up by 12.4%, okay? So the GDP has actually grown between 1970 to today, which means the wealth has actually grown all over the world. Productivity has increased. But people's wages in real dollars is actually, when you work out inflation, is actually flat. So economies have grown for the elites, but wages have been flat. So what does that do? So you produce lots of goods, and then you have greater unemployment, which means you have an effective lowering of demand because unemployed people can't buy the stuff. So you have overproduction. And when you have demand, when you don't have enough demand, then these same companies do not invest in infrastructure. So right now, Apple is sitting on about $255 billion worth of cash. Companies have a ton of cash. It's not like there's not enough cash. In fact, there's a lot of goods out there. When you look at the supply chain problem, it's not like there's not enough supply. It's the ability to distribute those goods. But there's a lot of goods out there, a lot of cash. But working people's wages are flat and going down. So between 1970 till today, what has actually happened is if you are making around $50,000 today, you should actually be making about $120,000. That $70,000 over the last 50 years was actually, was actually given to the elites. This is why in the last two years, 600 billionaires made $2.3 trillion, okay, in value. They grew. So this is very, very important to understand. So these vicious cycles are because of monopoly global imperialism. We talked about the baby formula. There's only three people who make baby formula, and no one else can get into it. So they've ensured that no one else can compete with them. So you have monopoly capitalism or what I call global imperialism. And global imperialism will always end up in these vicious cycles, okay? So I hope everyone's understanding what I'm saying. The nature of money is a historical context. Money ultimately should reflect value. But when money gets disconnected from real value through currency, right, which is manipulated, then you will have these cycles these boom and bust cycles. That's what occurred on October 29th, 1929. You had a major bust. Now, the reality is the nature of global imperialism is it'll always have these booms and busts, booms and busts, booms and busts. So how do the elites get out of this? Well, one way is they start coming up with wacky theories where their model is a government will centrally top-down control stuff or they'll come up with Bitcoin which is another wacky concept that is divorced from reality. But it doesn't address the central issue, okay? And the central issue that the elites do not want addressed is that ultimately working people need to control their means of production. 
because they will, when economies are decentralized to working people, we will actually not have these booms and busts because people will decide what they actually need. We're not going to produce a bunch of crap that we don't need that sits in warehouses or grain and stuff that sits there that never gets utilized. Because frankly, I was in India recently. India produces so much food. They actually put it in silos and make sure farmers do not sell it and they actually sell it at you know one cents on the dollar to produce liquor to feed people so they all get blitzed out, okay? But this is the nature of global imperialism. It's a fake, illusory economic system. So again, from 19, so if you look from 1940, it was World War II that the elites used to really employ people, okay? Get a lot of people killed. But between 1940 to 1970, the GDP of the world grew. And it grew and working people also had their wages grow. Why? Because during that period, there were powerful bottoms-up movements. Let me repeat that again. During this period, wages did grow and the economy grew. Why? Because working people got their shit together and they organized bottoms-up movements. They were real trade unions bottoms-up. But starting in 1950, there was a big wave of anti-communism, anti-socialism, right? Led by the right wing, that anytime you said working people unite, they said that must be communist. And then the left wing, people like Bernie Sanders and AOC and Elizabeth Warren and all these kinds of people, the Labour Party in UK, used that opportunity, that he, the quote unquote attack on communism, which actually destroyed bottoms up movements to overtake unions and do these top down movements, the not so obvious establishment. So by 1970, globally, if you look in any part of the world, wherever you are, you will see that you'll have a left wing and a right wing. One says they're pro-labor and one says they're conservatives, they want austerity measures, and they both piston pump this back and forth. All right. So this brings us, let me go back to our agenda here. We've covered now brief history, what is uh, money, this vicious cycle. And what you'll notice is that working people always be victims of this crisis, okay? Because at every cycle of this turn, you get working people's wages going down further and further and further down. The elites getting more and more control. But the elites have found themselves in a big conundrum right now. Because this is where they're headed. The conundrum is they have these boom and bust cycles. So in 1929, you know, 1930s, they brought in Keynes, who said, okay, yeah, I believe in capitalism, but we got to have government control. Okay. And then they did a world war to really get people employed. Okay. So the conundrum now, as you've noticed, is Trump literally printed in the last four years, he printed $6.9 trillion. Think about that. That's over 30% of the GDP of the United States was printed in four years. The GDP of the, which really measures sort of the entire income of the US economy, $22 trillion, Trump printed in one term close to 7 trillion. That's 35%. Why does he have to print money? This is brings us now to modern monetary theory, okay? So what is modern monetary theory? Again, point 5, you see the left and right really have no solution. So what they do is they come up with band-aid solutions. They try to come up with these sexy band-aid solutions, Bitcoin, right? Or quantitative easing. Quantitative easing means nothing more than printing money. Well, how does the Fed print money? You know what they do? They don't even print it anymore. 
the, the central banks, by the way, the United States, the UK, Canada, uh, and Australia, which are big, by the way, but which are the ones uh, have their own currency still. Most of the, the EU, Greece, and all these countries have to rely on the ECB, the European uh, Central Bank. Most countries can't print their currency. They're still sort of colonies. But these four countries are the ones which are big proponents of modern monetary theory. So the left and right really have no solutions. So they've gone to what's called quantitative easing in the United States, which really you know, is a dollar standard. So they have immense power through imperialism and war. So they've said, we're going to quantitative ease you. What does that mean? It means that the Fed literally goes to you know, all the local banks and they literally, let's say the bank only had $1,000 in their bank account. They literally add another zero and overnight, the bank's got $10,000. It's literally used with a stroke of a keyboard, they're quote unquote printing money. Literally, and you can go look at uh, Bernanke, that's what they say. It's literally printing money using the keyboard. So what does MMT say? So modern monetary theory, which is a theoretical basis of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Obama and Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders, all of them, because they don't know what else to do but to simply print money. So MMT, modern monetary theory, says they say, you know what? The whole concept of deficit doesn't make any sense. So and this is their reaction to austerity programs. Austerity says, hey, we need to control spending. So they say, you know, um, the old theory was that, you know, that they said you if the government was compared to your household. Right. And everyone knows this when politicians around, they say, look, you know, if you run a household, you shouldn't be spending more money than the income. Well, the monetary, modern monetary uh, theorists, what they say is you can't compare a government to a household. And they say the big difference is the government is actually an issuer of currency. You as an individual or a local government, and they make this distinction, can't issue currency. But they forget that Greece can't issue currency. All the quote unquote poor countries can't. It's only about four countries. And, and interesting enough, these four countries are the ones where I said modern monetary theory is coming out of. So what they say is, look, government is not like a household. That was the old theory. Government can actually print whatever money it wants. And government should print money because their view is if the government has, let's say, $1,000 and it prints money, let's say, a thousand bucks, right? And then it taxes people, let's say a hundred dollars, right? Then the government has essentially put net $900 into the economy. So you are getting 900 surplus. So they're saying a government quote unquote deficit is people surplus. Okay. Sounds all very interesting, right? But think about what they're actually saying. What they're actually saying is that this money goes, goes back to the definition of money their view is that money, the definition of money is that the state prints money, that money is defined by the state issuing money. So just like Bitcoin, the modern monetary theorists are completely whacked. They make it sound all good. It's, it's a big con game. But they're saying money is created by government. And, and the government can take away money. So the money government creates money and the government can take away money through taxes. 
So if you have now, here's a problem. If you go back to the real definition of money, money is commodity. Money really should reflect the total amount of commodities in the market. So if you have 10 units of commodities, which include labor and actual goods, you should have about 10 units of money, right? Should be one to one. But if you print a thousand units of money to that 10 units, you've essentially done a hundred to one ratio, which means that's called inflation. So the modern monetary theory said, yes, yes, we know, we know this could cause inflation, but we know how to control that. We'll just tax people. Okay. Because their theory is you print as you need to support projects like the Green New Deal. And if inflation happens, which is happening right now, you'll just tax people. So they claim centrally at the government level, you will control through fiscal policy the economy. Now, what are they really saying? What they're really saying is we're really <laughs> we're in a major problem and we don't know how to handle our booms and busts just like in 1929. So we're going to come up with a neo-Keynesian model. Remember, neo-Keynesian means the government intervenes. But we're going to call it modern monetary theory. It's, there's nothing modern about this monetary ne theory. Neither is it based on the real definition of money, which should reflect the value of commodity exchange, nor is it modern. It is basically Keynesian wrapped up. It's neo-Keynesian theory. Again, not to get lost in these terms, but neo-Keynesian means top-down centralized control. That's what we're talking about. So modern monetary theory, as I said in my agenda area, is the latest hack of the left and the right. Remember, they work together. Bernie Sanders, Ocasio-Cortez, they're all part of the same establishment. Donald Trump is part of the same establishment. They have the left actors and the right actors. It's all theater. Again, just to repeat, Donald Trump printed $6.9 trillion dollars. Obama printed $4.3 trillion in a term, right? So don't get lost in this left-right nonsense. The bottom line is this. All of this is being done, this bullshit, so we as people do not build a bottoms-up movement to really decentralize the means of production back to working people. I'll repeat that again. The only way out of this, a real economy is driven when you're actually making goods and services that people need and it drives a real economy. As I said, this boom and bust cycle where this ultra monopolist competition takes place, products get produced and a few people control the production of these products. Sometimes they can't even get distributed like we saw with the baby formula. And so you create crisis, crises after crises after crisis, but in every turn of this cycle where you, you these uh, monopolists compete, they overproduce, they have to, in order to compete, they have to lower wages, they have to get rid of people, then they create a big unemployment pool of people, but these people can't even buy the products that they've created, and because they can't buy their products, they do not invest back in the economy, right? So it is this vicious cycle of global imperialism. So remember, the modern monetary th theory people are so off because they think you have to inject cash that the government has to inject cash. Well, Apple is sitting, like I said, on $255 billion worth of cash. Why isn't Apple injecting cash into the economy? Think about it. Why? Because 
their concept of growth, which is real growth, is divorced from the reality uh, of what's actually going on. Because their sense of growth is to maximization of profit. You know, you sweatshop pay people in China, and if you can't do it there, then move it to India. It has nothing to do with real growth, which is meeting the needs of people. It's not a real GDP, it's a fake GDP. So if you look at back in 1920, and you look at today, there's a lot of lessons to be learned. Go back to 1920. And by the way, I encourage everyone to go to vashiva.com slash join. We have a, a curriculum. Uh, I'm giving you just pieces of it today that educates people because we need to build a movement. And a movement cannot be built until we understand the historical basis, until we understand there's a scientific way to build a movement. But if you go back to the late 1800s and 1900s, movements were building bottoms up. And those movements were really about building decentralized economies where working people controlled because working people are the ones who produce these real commodities, real value. And as those movements grew by the 1920s and 30s, those movements were on the precipice of gaining immense power. And that's when the elites were so afraid of a serious changes, they had the not so obvious establishment. It's not the real solution. It's the not so obvious establishment. They made Franklin Delano Roosevelt a hero, right? As though he saved the working people. What he did was actually he did top-down control of the economy, which essentially prolonged human suffering. And in fact, right after the New Deal, as I mentioned, there was essentially unemployment was escalating. And the only way they could stop that was to get involved in, in World War II, which get basically you know, fully employed everyone, okay? Um, so I hope it's clear that when you look back here, the Green New Deal is a hack. That idea is that you're gonna drive the economy by just printing money. And that somehow the invisible hand of the government or the visible hand of the government, to be correct, is going to manage all of these processes. So modern monetary theory is basically, it's basically saying that we're gonna print money and they're acknowledging they're gonna print money. It's basically institutionalizing quantitative easing. And it is saying that, um, that if there's a problem, if there's inflation, we'll control it by increasing taxes. That's pretty much modern monetary theory, period. It doesn't recognize that wages haven't risen. It doesn't recognize that the elites aren't investing any money into the economies right now, that we actually have uh, a stagnancy of the global economy, okay? So in conclusion, I think what we really need to recognize is modern monetary theory is neo-Keynesianism. Keynesianism. It is nothing new. What it is though, it is a new, you know, costume to, it's a new hack. It's really the new big lie of the left and the right. And I hope, unlike what occurred in the 1800s and 1900s, all of you have an opportunity to review this video, you know, get trained in the science of systems because we need to build a bottoms up movement again where working people, you know, fight for their interests and do not get lost in this left-right narrative, you know, anti-communist, pro-communist, right? 
uh, pro-labor, anti-labor, whatever the isms is, pro and anti, that we need to really look at this. And the only way out of this is to really build real vibrant economies where working people's interests, I'm not talking about destitute people, I'm talking about actually people who have you know labor value that they contribute, that they get involved in building a bottoms up movement. John, should we take any questions we have? Yeah, so here's a sort of an ignorant fellow, Tom K. Tom K. And this is, I'm, I want to address this. So he says, your solution is communism, with other words. So first of all, this is sort of this left-right dialectic. I'm sure this person doesn't even know what communism is, can't probably even define it. Um, and it's a knee-jerk reaction to a lack of understanding, okay? Because one of the things that needs to be understood is that when you say working people unite, the establishment has brainwashed people to thinking that Karl Marx owns that or that's Marxist. By the way, that terminology existed long before Marx. And furthermore, you know, when Marx died, by the way, Engels said that the worst people in the world were Marxists. And most people haven't even read Das Kapital or Adam Smith, etc., so they just spew this not this garbage. Oh, that's communist, that's socialist, that's fascist, et cetera, without really ever understanding this. And this is how the left and the right control people through absolute ignorance. But we need to eliminate these isms, these categorical statements, and look at things as they are, not what we want them to be, and not essentially spout these reactionary statements. We're not talking about communism. We're not talking about socialism. We're not talking about capitalism. What we're talking about is understanding that working people ultimately produce value. Now, if you want to call that communism, you can call it that. If you want to call that capitalism, you can call that. But neither of those categories fit it. It basically says that labor produces things. And this was part of a historical movement that's existed beyond left and right. And value comes from the production of goods, right? Um, and when that's divorced from that, you have fake economies. This has nothing to do with socialism or communism or capitalism or fascism. Any other question, John? Money used to be backed by gold. Yes, Jeffrey Dugan says that. Yeah, so Jeffrey, we talked about that. There was a time, it's not just backed by gold, and we need to get this clear. There was a time when if you looked at the sum total of commodities, the commodity exchange, the economy, the value of that economy money reflected the value of that economy, okay? So if you had an ounce of gold, it actually reflected the purchasing power of something in this the actual economy. But when we started creating, when we divorced money from the actual value of what was being created, that's when you created these fake booms and busts, and that's where we're at right now. So the only way the elites know how to solve that is to come up with, modern monetary theory, Keynesian economics, when ultimately what will need to happen if people choose to do this is that we need a decentralized economic system. We need to make sure that goods and services that are being produced actually have real markets for them to be used and they're priced at levels that actually match so you don't have this infl uh, inflationary systems. What else, John? Is all that any less silly than Bitcoin? What modern monetary theory? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a great question. That's Jason, right? Yeah, MMT equals Bitcoin. Um, it's, it's the same thing. So, so remember, what happens is the big distraction that takes place every generational cycle is to distract working people from coming together, understanding the physics of economies, understanding the value of their labor, and building these movements. And so instead of addressing those fundamental things to build a bottoms up movement, working people uniting, what always happens is the left wing, the right wing essentially distracts people. And that distraction, typically the latest distraction is they can't even understand their model of imperialism. So then they say, well, we need to have government get involved. Right. So it's not about resolving this from supporting a bottoms up movement, decentralized. It's about centralizing it top down. That's what modern monetary theory is. And what's ironic about Bitcoin is Bitcoin really doesn't understand what money is. OK, so in, they think money. The real issue with money is, oh, if everyone could make money, create money, which is mine. By the way, not everyone can create Bitcoins. OK, uh, that, too, has become centralized. If you look at who can afford the computing, who can afford the energy to do mining, it's a few set of people, okay? So Bitcoin is highly centralized, but they have the erroneous theory that money is something that is a function of who creates it, which is not that different from the MMT people who said, oh, the state creates money. So neither of these people really understand, have divorced the essence of what money is, value, that's related to a real economy and they've made it some fiction. What's next, Sean? Someone is asking, how about NFTs? Yeah, so um, NFTs, some people may know, are ways to monetize on, it, it's a very interesting, it's really ultimately, and I don't consider NFTs that different than a contract, okay? Uh, again, it's a, it's a neo version of a contract because you're saying that you have, you can own a digital asset and you can monetize a contract, okay? So um, NFTs like uh, uh, you know the Bitcoin model in many ways are divorced from the real issue of what actually creates value. Next, Sean. We can, I'll, I, I'll do a whole video if you want on NFTs. We can go into Bitcoin. But today's goal that I wanted everyone to really take away was I wanted people to really understand that the elites are getting ready to shove down people's throat modern monetary theory. OK, and they're going to be doing a big sales job. And the big sales job is that, hey, we need to print money and, and the government will figure out how to print money for good projects. And don't worry the government will take care of inflation. But either thing that they do is actually divorced from real market economies. Go ahead, John. This person's saying, I'm not sure what they're referring to. They're saying MMT is not popular. You're crazy. Yeah. So Matt Lucian says MMT is not popular. You're crazy. I hope I hope it is doesn't become popular, Matt. I'd be very happy. But if you watch what's going on and watch it carefully, the if you don't want to call it MMT, um, I would just ask you, Matt, 
what was Trump's printing of $6.2 trillion? That was following modern monetary theory. What was Obama's printing of $4.3 trillion? What do you call that? And in one year, Biden has printed $1.5 trillion. This is MMT. MMT has been in full scale since 2008 when quantitative easing started. MMT and quantitative easing are the same thing. They've just put a nice big thing on it called modern monetary theory, okay? But after the banks collapse, Obama printed 4.3, Trump comes into office, you had a black guy print 4.3 trillion, then they needed a white guy to manipulate the American white working class, so he printed 6.9 trillion dollars. No race racism uh, involved in here. The point is that a lot of people, working people voted for Obama and then he screwed all of them by saving the big banks so they needed someone to manipulate the white working class because they, they'd given up on Obama. So Trump comes in, but ultimately Trump printed $6.9 trillion. That is modern monetary theory. That's what I want people to understand. We are in full force with modern monetary theory. So when people say, oh, Biden created inflation, it's sort of stupid. You can't create inflation like in one year, okay? Trump printed $6.9 trillion. That was, you know, several, you know, four years ago. And Obama printed $4.3 trillion. Okay. Sorry, Trump printed $6.9 trillion. So you have to understand both left and right doesn't know what to do. And when the elites, first of all, you have to understand they're not that bright, but they are brutal and they are very, very cunning. They're not that bright. I used to give them a lot of credit, but they're very cunning, very brutal. Brutal means assuming everyone else is stupid and we'll use the left and right to just print money. And don't be, you know, don't be uh, alarmed if we get involved in more wars, either directly or indirectly, because one of the goals is that overproduction will take place. People won't be able to buy their goods. You'll get, you'll have unemployment will increase or they'll try to do fake employment, right? Where they don't even count people properly. Thank you, uh, Trini Baller. Is this inflation, how do we explain the value of dollar being so high? Yeah, so remember, uh, the dollar can be so high because there's only one person who controls the dollar, the, the United States government, okay? They sort of have a monopoly on the dollar and you can also understand that, you know, when the U.S. prints money, who, where did all that money go? Very few people got that money. Most of that money went into Jared Kushner's bank account, okay, went into uh, the bank's bank account, and they used that money to speculate and to drive up the values of these stocks, which then has a relationship into making the U.S. economy and the dollar seem stronger than they really are. It's all speculative. It's all built on garbage. It's not really built on a real economy. Okay. So anyway, I hope this was valuable. Um, and this, as I mentioned tonight, uh, those of you want to ask questions, please join us. I'll be doing uh, at 8 p.m. We already did the one at 11 a.m., but at 8 p.m. EST, you can go to vashiva.com slash orientation. You'll be given a link. But we really want to invite all of you to recognize that, you know, I've railed on MMT. I've given you a, a quick history lesson. But the ultimate goal is we need to build a bottoms up movement. And how do you build that movement? The movement needs to begin with a basis in universal laws. Engineering systems theory offers us that basis. 
And we can go around, we can, as working people, be in that vicious cycle and lose and lose and lose. Wages keep going down. Or we can understand how to get out of this. And how we get out of this is to have the right theoretical framework to understand how change takes place. And one of the key things that we've done is we've taken the laws of thermodynamic theory, we've taken the laws of uh, Eastern and Western medical theory and political theory and put it together to have a foundational basis that we can use to build a bottoms up movement. So I hope everyone you know, takes advantage of that because we need leaders, we need people really know how to think beyond left and right, frankly know how to think, not what to think, and get over these isms, okay? And just stop blanketly just repeating what the left tells them or repeating what the right tells them. That's the only way out of this. So I hope people um, join us. Um, also, those of you, uh, I, rec I highly recommend everyone um, join our course. We've given scholarships to people. Go to vashiva.com slash join. Become a part of the Truth, Freedom, and Health movement and get the book, you know, Truth, Freedom, and Health. We've made the book free, okay, System and Revolution. Take advantage of that. But most importantly, we're building a framework of these videos, educational content, uh, content that you can't get anywhere else. You can't get it at MIT. In fact, we have uh, MIT students who come take our course because they can't actually get it at MIT. We have professors who referred my course, but we've made it very, very accessible. So please take advantage of that. John, is there any other big questions? Okay. So I'm going to end with just playing a features video. I hope to see all you guys at the orientation uh, tonight. And I'm going to end with just playing a quick video, which will share with you what uh, the infrastructure we've created for you so you can become a truth, freedom, and health warrior scholar. So here you go. Thank you. Hello, this is Dr. Shiva Ayadure. Welcome to VA Shiva, the platform of education, technology, and activism, so you may raise your consciousness to win the truth, freedom, and health you need to create the future you deserve. The VA Shiva platform provides this truth, freedom, health warrior scholars the following three capabilities. Number one, an ultimate education that is based on the science of systems. Number two, technologies to empower you to take charge of your health, as well as social media tools, independent of big tech, so you can connect with other incredible truth, freedom, health warrior scholars equally dedicated like you to winning truth, freedom, and health. Three, instruments for activism so you become a beacon of light in your online and offline community to educate others' growth and advancement. VA Shiva provides you the foundations of the science of systems, the ultimate education. The science of systems provides you the missing fundamental scientific knowledge to understand every system in and around you. The science of systems will enable you to uncover the real problem and real solution in any situation and on any issue. Concerning the educational component, first you will receive direct access to me to learn the science of systems in my three-hour live private online group class that I run every week. Second, you will have access to archived lectures so you can continue your education independent of me. Third, you can test your proficiency in learning the fundamental principles and get a formal certification for the foundations of systems. Independent of this classroom education, you will receive also four important books. The first book is the best-selling classic Systems and Revolution from which you can learn all of these concepts and more. The second book is the science of everything that will educate you on how the science of systems 
systems is the foundational knowledge of every system in the universe. The third book, Your Body, Your System, focuses on how to understand the interplay of these systems within your own body. And then the fourth book, Your System, Your Life, will help you apply these principles to other aspects of your life, such as running a business, understanding relationships, and more. Beyond the curriculum and books, the second capability is the technologies that you will be afforded. One of them is a powerful Your Body, Your System software, which is an online laboratory where you can use your body as a system to further deepen your understanding of the science of systems. The tool allows you to understand what kind of system you are. Is your system on course or is it off course? And how the inputs of food, supplements, herbs, activities such as sleep, yoga, meditation, exercise can affect your body to bring it back on course. Finally, to support your education, I've also included a seminal scientific paper that I wrote which will help you understand that the knowledge of systems it does not only originate in the modern world starting in the 1920s and 30s, but it actually dates back 10 to 20,000 years and intersects directly with the foundations of Eastern systems of medicine. In addition to this, you will also get two scientific papers sharing how the science of systems can also be used to apply to understanding how food is medicine. One paper exposes turmeric from the molecular systems level and how it affects your body. The other paper explores ginger and how that affects your body. That's just the educational piece. As you raise your consciousness through this education, you will likely want to connect with other Truth Freedom Health Warrior Scholars in an environment where you can connect and build community. To support that, I've also created two powerful social media tools. One of them is the VA Shiva Forum. Here you can start discussions, you can pose questions and meet others and have healthy debates. The other is VA Shiva Social, where you can create your own profile, your own presence, like other major social media tools. However, it is independent of big tech. You can use VA Shiva Social to interconnect with your fellow Truth Freedom Health Warrior scholars and build community. Beyond the education capability and the social media capability, the platform also enables you to take action by disseminating your knowledge on the ground and into your local online and offline communities. Powerful educational cards and research are included so you can pass these cards to your friends and neighbors that provide them summarized content which further directs them to online research and education. In addition to this, the activism component also provides you many, many short one-minute educational video content, memes and text, allowing you to quickly craft messages for your Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok and other pages so you can deliver content to educate others and drive them to longer educational posts on VA Shiva. VA Shiva is fundamentally an enabling platform for you to get the truth, freedom and health you deserve through education, technology and activism. I hope you become a truth, freedom and health warrior scholar today. Thank you. All right, everyone, I have to get going. We have a Truth Room and Health Warrior meeting, but just to remind you, today, 8 p.m., go to vashiva.com slash orientation, uh, and you can come every Thursday, but please sign up. I look forward to seeing you there or join us in the course. Uh, be well, be the light, and I hope you have a good day, and I'll see you soon. Thank you.